0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you, sir, and good afternoon, five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on your basic Wednesday, 29th day of November. Trust you had a good day today, and as we uh, always enjoy the privilege to spend some time with you heading home, we got a lot to talk about on the program tonight. So let's just get down to cases, shall we? I bet there is a strong likelihood that someone within your family Or maybe within your orbit, your circle of friends, acquaintances, folks at church, what have you, um, are caregivers. That means that they have a loved one at home that is not capable of caring for themselves, perhaps because of an accident, perhaps because of illness, perhaps of just the process of aging. Maybe it's maybe it's even a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, whatever the case might be. If you think about that person, can you imagine what the number one thing that likely is at the top of their Christmas wish list? We'll get some insights now from Shelley Beach, multiple award-winning author, co-author of more than 30 best-selling books. And she's written, my goodness, three or four on this topic of aging and caregiving alone. And Shelley, great to have you with us again.
2: It's wonderful to spend some time
1: with you again. My my only complaint is uh, you got to get a better agent. They booked you for uh, ten minutes, and we could do like an hour and a half, two hours. <laughs> well, um, I'd be glad to do that. Yeah, I put it put that. in a formal complaint, would you? <laughs> I will. I will. Well, Shelly, let's dive into this topic in the time that we have because it's such a critical one. And and while we're in the sort of the 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 leading or the the ending portion of uh, Caregiver Awareness Month, this is such an important topic. Not only 12 months out of the year, but particularly during Christmas, there's oftentimes a major disconnect between expectations and what the relatives think. And maybe they're excited to travel home and go see Grandpa. And they think that he's really going to be, you know, welcome to having a big crowd of people visiting. And, And meanwhile, Grandma or whomever might be the primary caregiver is probably to a big degree dreading this time of year.
2: There are a lot of reasons for that. Yes, yes. And um, actually, when we talk about caregivers, we we often don't have a broad enough scope of who all is doing this task. But you know, about thirty percent of the adult population in the United States is providing family caregiver family care, you know, for an ill or disabled or elderly relative, and ten percent of those are seniors. And so there are probably a lot of people who are in similar positions to me and my husband. We co-care for each other. And um, so he has ex- extreme um neuropathy that has caused him to lose his ability to walk and he has no sensation in his hands and then i have multiple sclerosis and a bunch of other things that are boring to hear about but so a lot of people a lot of people in the elderly category are co-caring for one another and and there are unfortunately uh, almost a million and a half uh, children between eight and 18 are also caregivers
1: mm-hmm. So you know. it, it's, it's a broad dynamic in terms of, of the age group that's involved and, and, and oftentimes, as you say, it runs the gamut between spouses, kids, grandkids oftentimes get involved. Yeah. But sadly, you know, while that's great and I applaud team effort, there is a significant Alarming percentage of single caregivers, which means they're really on duty 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then in the middle of all of that, you have to cram in things like grocery shopping and paying the bills and, you know, maybe even going to the doctor for yourself. And the kind of stress that these caregivers are typically under is pretty enormous. And and with that thought in mind, I would imagine for many of the caregivers in that category, I bet the number one thing at the top of that their Christmas wish list has got to be something that we oftentimes take for granted. It's called time.
2: Yes, it's called time. And I, I have a real, I have a real burden for people to become advocates, those who are caregivers, because like you said, it's 25 to 40 hours, usually a week that people are investing in caregiving. Um, And the circumstances are so wide ranging. If you have a child, um, who has chronic illness or chronic disability or has cerebral palsy or something else, you might be living as a split family all the time. And so when you talk about time in terms of a family where there might be four children, one's in the hospital all the time, and the hospital's three hours away. And so mom or dad is always gone. And then you come to a time of year like Christmas where you um, everybody's thinking about being with family and you don't know how you don't know how to um, be with your children um, you don't know how to manage that without one parent um, missing the holiday and they've probably already missed birthdays and ball games and all kinds of things so um, so I think I think it's important for churches to train to train believers to be aware and looking for people who who have who have special needs outside what we commonly um, have to deal with?
1: And sometimes the the biggest gift can be just the. Shift of time, a little bit of a break, and 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 to put things in perspective, I, I mentioned about the fact that oftentimes there'll be family that's a bit disconnected. Maybe they live out of the area. They don't really have a a, a great sense of, of some of the struggles going on related to uh, you know grandma and grandpa's condition or the mm-hmm. challenges related to caregiving. And I'll give you a, a case in point in my own family. Uh, Thanksgiving and the table is set. Seventeen people are coming for dinner, and mm-hmm. as they were beginning to sit down they're looking at the place cards and saying well gee where's your where's your stepmother and so she's going to be Uh eating in the family room oh no she's got to eat with us and i had to stop down and explain for a alzheimer's patient big crowds lots of noise lots of talking going on is 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 very extremely stressful They can't follow the conversation and it will end up ruining their evening and potentially as a result, everyone else's. And oftentimes family members just don't understand the breadth and depth of this dynamic, do they? They
2: they don't. And um, it's. Unfortunately, uh, the caregiver's responsibility—not unfortunately, but it's our job—to protect our loved one, and so we have to set down boundaries sometimes with our family members, and they often don't understand them or they think we're acting as though you know we're a better child than you know we're trying to make it look like we're a better the better child or. Whatever, And um, you just described a number of complications because people with dementias and also people with brain damage, because I have I had brain surgery years ago and I have a neurological condition. And so I, I cannot go into a into a gymnasium and be part of a basketball game or, you know, anywhere where there's, you know, multiple voices going on at one time or trying to listen at restaurants or the music's playing above you and there are 12 of you around the table. And it can be very dismaying and upsetting to especially older people with Alzheimer's and other dementias. And so I know that that whole issue of tension and stress is really high around the holidays for some caregivers because they know there will be a kind of a tug of war of what goes on. And you described exactly the right situation, Craig. Having your loved one um eat in a in a quiet room where people are free to go in one or two at a time and talk to them and um, you know, it, it it lowers that potential stress
1: level enormously. Absolutely, and and you know, we we think that you know, oh well, you know, having company will be good for them, and and there's a great degree to which that is true. But there's also something called overstimulation that can really be frustrating for them, especially as they're they're trying to follow the conversation, and we're peppering with questions, and we're trying to engage them. And again, maybe you haven't seen Grandpa in a year's time, and you don't realize how much has really changed. And so being sensitive toward a loved one that is in that caregiving possession is so critically important. And and, and toward that end, as our our time winds down, uh, Shelley, maybe you can just kind of tick off a shopping list, so to speak, um, in terms of the kinds of challenges that caregivers typically face during this time of the year and how loved ones can help out and ease the burden.
2: Well, it's generally uh, not a... A really wonderful holiday time for, for caregivers because there are a lot of things, you know, the Christmas isn't going to look like a typical Christmas. And actually I'm, I'm leaving a song that, that your listeners can access called, um, it doesn't feel like Christmas this year from Music for the Soul. Um, we, it's difficult for them to shop. It's difficult for them to have decorations. I didn't have a Christmas tree for all the years that my mother lived with us because she would eat the she would eat the ornaments. She would eat anything small, and so there was no Christmas tree. And like you said, the crowds and you know their their finances are very likely stretched because. Um, Caregiving, it, it seems often leads to the fact that you're kind of underwriting expenses for your loved one and that family dynamic and that tension about decisions and about guilt and finances almost always come up. And then there's, you know, you know, things with that and true guilt and false guilt. You know, if I've done something, if I've stolen money from my parent or somehow, you know, done something truly, truly um, immoral. I have a right to feel guilt, but false guilt is when somebody else tries to put their expectations on us, and uh, we have the right to, you know, create those boundaries, so... um
1: that, that really is critically important uh, to not only create the boundaries, but, but for for family and loved ones to really ask questions and to get informed, not to just jump into a situation and, and assume that you understand it. Because quite often, particularly when you're dealing with somebody that's either convalescing or um, is, is in whatever stage of dementia, yeah. it can be really, really challenging. So one of the best gifts you could give this year is understanding, and I would wrap that in a big bow of time and just availability to be there and help out in any way that you can. Shelley Beach, we appreciate the time. I You mentioned about the Christmas tree. I'll, I'll end on this note. Um, we knew the first year that there was going to be um, some trouble uh, brewing when I went over to my stepmother's home one day, and we had uh, carefully decorated and put up a christmas tree and you know wanted to uh, to have that you know her sense of celebration uh, only to come uh, a week later and find the christmas tree completely undecorated all of the ornaments uh, taken off the tree the lights disconnected couldn't get a straight answer as to why or what happened and then i made the mistake of sitting down on the couch crunch and she had taken all the decorations off the tree and put them underneath the couch Questions. Why? Don't know. But that's just one of the challenges of caregiving. And we appreciate Shelley the time. Lots of information available about the books that she's written that you can find comfort and advice on by going to shellybeachonline.com. Just the way it's written as it sounds, Shelly Beach. Online.com. We appreciate the time, and as always, um, the insights, Shelley. Merry Christmas to you. 519 from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well,
1: I was rummaging through some boxes the other day and uh, ironically enough, ran across a few mementos that the folks had set aside for me from way back in the day. Actually, one of the items I ran across was a Christmas program from when I was in elementary school in 19. Well, we won't go there. It was a while ago, put it to you that way. Looking through this program and remembering the names of the teacher and, of course, the list of all the students that participated, I was struck by something quite unusual, at least perhaps unusual by today's standards, in that a number of the songs that this group of, what were we, fourth graders, I think, that were performing before the entire school and the gathered throng of parents included traditional christmas music and i don't mean just you know deck the halls type of stuff i mean things like noel and away in the manger and what struck me was how rare that has become in modern america that we have suddenly made religion of any sort particularly judeo-christian taboo and undoubtedly there are many many people Particularly those that reside here in California that would think, oh, Craig, what a quaint story from 100 years ago. Couldn't do that today. The notion of mentioning Christmas in a public school. Oh, you must mean the winter holiday. Well, let's get some insights now from the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, he... Brad Dickinson, Counselor, I, I don't want to go to jail, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know you'd help bail me out. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. Do they, do they arrest oh, you for that you. anymore? I don't know. <laughs>
3: yeah. Merry Christmas to you, too. Yes, we're there to defend you if needed.
1: You got it. <laughs> So tell me, what of this? The notion that, and we we seem to every time this year hear stories about some child that was scolded for, you know, uh, recommending that they sing a a Christmas carol that uniquely is Christmas oriented. And of course, uh, I'm always surprised when I drive by a public school for example, and they've got on the big outdoor reader board, you know, winter break. It's no longer Christmas break, it's winter break. And I have to wonder, is this it's compulsory it ha- has this whole establishment clause gone so far that we're not even allowed to use the phrase in public schools anymore
3: well here's the good news uh the phrase uh christmas merry christmas uh it is legal it's constitutional partly because of the fact that christmas is a nationally recognized holiday so teachers can say it schools can say it they don't have to say winter break um, you know, this is just a part of the psyche that are, many of them have adopted after going to universities in today's society, which tries to basically teach them freedom from religion. Is somehow in the Constitution uh, that it's, there's something, uh, you know, inappropriate and dirty about faith. Uh, but that's simply not true. And it's uh, not required by the, the, the Constitution. Uh, and the law actually protects acknowledgement of Christmas in so many different ways. Uh, that people can implement in terms of students, teachers, people in the workplace, etc.
1: So, if if a child comes home and says, "Hey, mom, I got scolded today because I asked, you know, in front of the teacher, uh, what uh, you know a fellow student was going to be doing for Christmas, and and something along those lines, uh, or maybe was asked to write, uh, you know, a poem related to the uh, this time of year, and was then scolded for writing a poem about uh, the Babe in the main. Uh, the, what you're telling me is that kind of behavior from on, on the receiving end coming from a public school official would be decidedly illegal.
3: Absolutely. And, in fact, if there's anyone out there that has anything like that ever happened, they should contact Pacific Justice Institute. In fact, on our website for free, Craig, we have a uh, an article. It's called uh, Christmas Q&A. It talks all about the different ways that people can express and recognize Christmas legally and constitutionally without charge
1: if at my desk at work i want to hang up some christmas cards and other co-workers are doing the same thing and i happen to ha- receive a couple of cards from some friends that's the babe in the manger can an employer compel me to take that down
3: uh, generally speaking no uh, especially if it's a public employee position uh, the uh, the government uh, we have some great case law on that we we defended uh, somebody who worked for the California Department of Education wasn't allowed to put certain, you know, religious items in their own, his own private cubicle. We took it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and, they, and the Ninth Circuit said, "Really, really? You really think this? Is, <laughs> you can government can censor just because it's religious?" So we won that case, and uh, we stand ready to defend others in the workplace. Uh, but if they have any questions, we also have a great materials for the workplace specifically on our website. Uh, for free as well that people can take advantage of.
1: Two final questions along those lines, Counselor. One is, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, this is the time of the year when uh, schools, particularly those that have uh, music programs, choirs, things of that sort, will put on uh, presentations, and oftentimes the student might be singled out and said, hey, we're going to let you sing a solo. What would you like to sing? And the minute they say, you know, oh, little town of Bethlehem, they're told, oh, we can't do that. Uh, in, In that arena is it proper is it constitutional for a school to forbid a child from singing a christmas song in a public performance that has a uh, quote-unquote religious overtone to it
3: yeah it's not legal we've taken school districts to court on this we contested them uh, elk grove unified school district uh, near sacramento we had to do this a number of years ago uh, but bottom line uh, students are free Uh, to sing songs for the talent show or for events, as long as they're given the choice, the freedom to choose it, then they can't be silenced simply because it has a religious or Christmas theme to it.
1: Final question, Counselor. Uh, Folks hear you every week as they have for... My goodness, I'm going to make us both sound old now. For, For well over probably 25 years on this program, maybe slightly even longer than that, but we won't get too detailed. And they hear the stories about cases that you defend all over the West Coast and other parts of the United States, and they have to think, wow, there must be some big, deep-pocket foundation behind all of this. How can they possibly do that all work for clients and represent people that have had their constitutional rights stumbled upon, have had their, their rights as a believer stumbled upon, First Amendment rights violated, on and on the list goes. For folks that say, I really appreciate what Brad does and the stories that he brings and the defense that he and Pacific Justice Institute offer towards protecting the rights of, of, of people of faith, and I just wonder, how do they do this, and is there any way that I can help? Uh, How would you answer that question?
3: Yes, uh, there is a definite way they can help. And uh, we do it because of support and donations from moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, a good number of churches. Uh, But they can become a real part of helping us. We have a $500,000 matching grant right now. Up to $500,000 can be matched dollar for dollar uh, between now and the end of January. So it's, it's a great opportunity for people to take advantage of it. Yeah, even uh, monthly donors, we match dollars per dollar for a, a whole year of uh, all 12 months. They just go to our website. It's simply pji.org or pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org.
1: Wow. And uh, this is a dollar, dollar, dollar for dollar match right now. So for folks that really, I mean, I think we all recognize the trends that have been taking place in this country and that it's in many arenas becoming more and more hostile to be a public facing person of faith. Maybe, you know, of cases of friends that have had their rights trumpled upon. Maybe you yourself have experienced and wondered oh, who deals with this. How, how do I find a voice? I mean, I, I you know, I, I can't afford to go hire an attorney and go take the school district to court or sue my boss? Well, that's why Pacific Justice Institute is there. They do all this work pro bono. But as Brad Degas mentions, uh, it does take a little bit of uh, gasoline to drive the engine, so to speak. So uh, as you think about your end-of-year giving, uh, taking advantage of that $500,000 matching grant, wow, that's pretty special. So check them out, think about them, and you can get details about giving online at pji.org. That's pj. Think Pacific Justice Institute, pji.org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, for that update.
4: If I could make it snow for Christmas, I'd lay a blanket of pure white. And then I'd scatter diamonds on it. To reflect the starry light And inside there'd be a fire Warmth would spread throughout the house The tree would be a glimmer With memories hung on every bough And you would be
1: Some wonderful sentiments, almost sort of a musical courier in Ives' card. You think about music as we were mentioning before the break; it's so entwined into our holiday tradition for so many of us. And what a great way to sort of officially kick off the Christmas holiday season with a holiday spectacular! One's coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, it'll be taking place Sunday, December the seventeenth, at three p.m. at the Chabot College Performing Arts Center. And here to tell us. All All About It is artistic director and conductor of Bay Philharmonic, June Ho Pak. And thank you so much for being with us today. It is
0: my honor. Isn't that a gorgeous song?
1: It is a delightful song, and, and what a great way to ring in the holiday. And as I mentioned, um, this is so integral to so many of of families in the Bay Area that, that see music as an important part of the holiday season. And I understand you and the Bay Philharmonic have really put together a spectacular program. Tell us all about it.
0: Well, spectacular has to have a spectacle, and that's exactly what we have of so many great artists the beautiful voice you just heard was from Deanna Loveland singer-songwriter from Nashville who is going to be singing that beautiful song which is a tribute to the troops who are away and she also has another a song that she wrote called colors of Christmas and so she's just she's a quadruple threat she sings beautifully she plays harp like an angel she plays piano beautifully and she's a songwriter too She's one of about four different artists we have. We have another singer named Erica Gabriel who can sing everything from gospel to opera. And she'll be doing a little bit of everything. A special guest will be the San Francisco Girls Chorus, one of the top choruses in the Bay Area. International, stars, beautiful. So it's really something for every generation. In fact, for the young ones, we do a little tribute to the Charlie Brown Christmas medley with a fantastic jazz pianist doing music of Vince Guaraldi.
1: And, you know, it really seems as if you guys have gone out of your way to try to make this something that, that really is going to provide a, a little bit of a wetting of the appetite for all kinds of musical tastes out there. You know, in addition to the San Francisco Girls Chorus, you also, I understand, have Ballet Folklorico Mexico Danza, which is going to be performing. And that, of course, as, as the, the amazing backdrop of the 50 piece Bay Philharmonic. Yes.
0: I mean, it would be enough to have one dance company, but we actually have two dance companies for that. You're right, Mexico Danza, dancing this beautiful kind of folklorico mariachi type of music. You're going, wow, well, how interesting on a Christmas show. Absolutely. They do their own version of Nutcracker, believe it or not, and they'll dance some traditional uh, some tunes as well. But the other dance company is the Yoko Academy of Ballet and Performing Arts, Dance and Performing Arts they'll be actually doing scenes from nutcracker as well including um i think the famous snowflakes scene from nutcracker end of act one and the sugar plum fairy too so there's something to delight the young children in fact speaking of young children we're also having erica sing erica gabriel singing you're a mean one mr grinch uh from uh, how the grinch stole christmas and so there can be a lot of of famous pieces for the older generation those who remember ella fitzgerald we have a swing and arrangement of jingle bells that Ella used to sing, and Erica will be singing that, too.
1: Fantastic. And, you know, I want to mention for listeners, if you are beginning to sort of set up the schedule for your holiday uh, season events and celebration, what a great way to kick off Christmas on Sunday, December seventeenth at three p.m., the Bay Philharmonic presenting a holiday spectacular. And and really and truly, there's going to be something for everyone, it's all ages, all musical tastes. There'll be a, a delight not only for the ears but the eyes too. Folks can go, by the way, to Bay Phil, B A Y. P-H-I-L dot O-R-G to order show tickets. They're available and on sale now. Again, the performance will be taking place Sunday, December the 17th at 3 p.m. at the Chabot College Performing Arts Center in Hayward. Information available again on the web at bayfill.org. That's bayfill.org. But I understand, in addition to the official performance that begins at 3 o'clock, that for those who sneak in a little bit early, there might even be a special special presentation of A special appearance by someone.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That's why I wanted to make sure we got in. Santa will be there early as well, and he'll be there along with some some drinks, some maybe hot cocoa and apple cider. People will really have a fun time coming, just hanging out the beautiful campus of Chabot College. So, if you get there at two o'clock, the show's at three o'clock. But if you get there an hour early at two p.m., you'll Families, old and young, will be able to enjoy Santa and after the show as well. And um, one other note is that you said all of these fantastic songs by the San Francisco Girls Chorus and these two wonderful singers. By the way, they'll also be doing um, singing a little bit of Handel's Messiah as well, a fabulous aria called "Rejoice." And then Erica will also be singing a gospel tune called "Mary, Did You Know?" So this is going to be. A, sacred and um, secular songs for er- every, every generation, every, every faith.
1: Well, you've really pulled out the stops. I, I mean, it, it, talk about the breadth and depth of, again, musical taste and styles and, and literally something for everybody. How difficult is it to, to compile a presentation like this where you're talking about not just the, the, the stimulation of one's ears, but the eyes of well and blending so many different, varied, talented performers from so many musical styles and backgrounds?
0: what a great question i mean that's the thing about the bayfield harmonic you said the eyes we take advantage full advantage of their two large video screens on the back and then we project even on the back behind the orchestra so we know that concerts just can't be concerts today you need to really delight the senses and that's what the bayfield harmonic does every single show we hire a professional lighting director we have beautiful video to accompany So that takes a lot of time, and to bring all of these artists together from all of these different backgrounds, it takes months and months and months. And that's why we only give shows approximately once every three months, because it's an enormous amount of of work, but it's a labor of love.
1: Well, it certainly sounds like it. And, uh, you know, I want to also say uh, for so many of us that like to spend the holidays and kind of kick off our family celebration by enjoying a musical performance, Uh, how many of you have seen the Nutcracker in San Francisco and say, love the Nutcracker, please don't make me go to San Francisco, too much traffic, the parking is a nightmare, It's such. Such a hassle to get there. Here's the good news. This is not that far away from BART. Convenient parking just right outside the venue. Again, this is going to be kicking off at 2 o'clock with a special visit by that gentleman in a red suit for the kids. There'll be some harp (laughs) music playing as well. And then the Holiday Spectacular begins at 3 p.m. Sunday, December 17th at Chabot College Performing Arts Center in Hayward. And again, you can get information and reserve your seats today by going to bayfill.com. Think Phil as in Philharmonic, P-H-I-L, bayphil.org. That's bayphil.org. What a great way to kick off the holiday season. Our thanks to artistic director and conductor of the Bay Philharmonic, June Ho-Pak. And thank you so much, June, for being with us today.
0: It is my pleasure. Hope to see everyone there.
1: Thank you. Take care. There's June Hopak, the artistic director, with the Bay Philharmonic. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, mark your calendars and uh, make it a part of your family's 2023 Christmas celebration.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Let me introduce my next guest by saying, yeah, that feels like a little bit of a uh, train wreck (laughs) in the sense that we've just gone from an uplifting, lighthearted segment to a bit more serious tone. And I I just want to preface our conversation by saying um, it's okay to enjoy and celebrate the lighthearted moments in life. Well, let's ever be mindful that we are engaged in a battle here. It is a battle for hearts and minds. It is a battle for lives. We have been, for example, we've talked several times on this program in recent months about the city of Union City, who who has a program to educate children about the dangers of cannabis while they're trying to move full swing ahead with putting a recreational marijuana store in a residential neighborhood where children play. <laughs> it shows you the the disconnect um, and oftentimes how judgment gets clouded because the city is struggling to try to make ends meet. They want to increase revenue, and this is an easy cheap, dirty way of doing it. They don't oftentimes think about the consequences to residents. That's what's going on in Union City right now. Um, and then down in San Diego, what are they doing? Well, they've decided down in San Diego that um, even though they will wear the badge of pro-choice, they aren't really. What they really are is strictly all abortion all the time. And if anybody dare presents a woman with alternatives or attempts to educate let alone support, well, we're going to do everything we can to crush you. That's exactly what's happening right now. Let's get more on this story from Karen Roseberry, California Pro-Life Council spokesperson. And uh, Karen, as always, we appreciate uh, your time. Uh, Give us a bit of an update. I mean, this seems to be, I I think, shocking uh, that for people that will purport to be, quote-unquote, pro-choice, and yet the minute they find out that there are people or organizations that are actually trying to provide women with alternatives and true choice, they want to come down and crush them like a bug
4: Craig you are absolutely right thank you so much for having me back on it's always great to, to be, be with you and to be able to talk and, and share And you could not be more correct in discussing this as the antithesis of choice there is a County supervisor in San Diego County uh, from the Board of Supervisors who has put forth an agenda item. Um, She put forth the item on the November 7th meeting and it's coming back on the December 5th meeting um, to explore the closure of all of the pregnancy centers in the County of San Diego. And this is just unfathomable. Um, when, When you think about what pregnancy centers do, which is to provide accurate information alternative options, holistic care, and to provide women with just a listening ear so that they have someone that they can turn to while they might be wrestling through uh, what could be a very difficult decision in time of their life. No, because they don't refer or perform abortions, they are the now enemy of this particular supervisor who... Alleges complete falsities about them. She claims that they provide misinformation and that they're doing harm when the exact opposite is the case.
1: Yeah, I even read somewhere that uh, there was a claim that, oh, these organizations, these centers, they claim to be medical facilities and they don't even have uh, licenses, which is not true. And they are staffed by by registered nurses and doctors. So, you know, the 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 degree of subterfuge and lying knows absolutely low limits. But I think the other thing, too, Karen, that 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 really takes me aback on a situation like this, no matter where you come down on the subject, um, I, I think we can all agree that. That the most important thing we have to do is to empower women and make sure that when they make a decision, it is a fully informed choice. Now, Planned Parenthood receives tax dollars. Planned Parenthood has centers in high visibility locations. Planned Parenthood advertises on television, billboards, bus cards. It would be pretty difficult for a, quote unquote, modern woman. Can we use that term? Modern woman in 2023 who found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy to not understand that abortion is an option. And yet. How many that would say, well, how could I possibly ever carry my child to term? And then they tick off the list of all the reasons why. Not recognizing that there are support organizations that will not only see them through the process, prenatal care, the whole nine yards, but even post-delivery care. There are options to carry the child to term and keep the child, carry the child to term, put the child up for adoption. What does that look like? How does that function? Planned Parenthood doesn't provide that kind of information. So here you have centers. That are attempting to fully inform a woman, and instead of somebody uh, like this member of the of the um, the board of supervisors in San Diego County saying, "Yeah, that's that's a good thing," instead they're against it.
4: Exactly, it, it is just a complete contradiction, and is is truly oxymoronic in the fact that they claim to be pro-choice, but they deny women the choice of even which clinic they want to go to, which center that they they want to visit, where they choose to go to get their care and get their information and get the help that they need. Because these centers are in places where so oftentimes the clientele are in very underserved communities. They may not have health insurance. They may not have other resources or choices that are available to them. And these clinics provide free care to women that are in great need and that choose to walk through those doors because they want the information that pregnancy centers provide and they may be unsent- unsettled about their decision and they're not ready to go strictly and first forward and you know, full speed ahead into a Planned Parenthood. They they want other options, they want other choices and these, you know, two Board of Supervisors right
1: now, you know, are, are denying women choice. And what's ironic here, uh, Karen, is this is not just a battle over awareness or who's got the bigger advertising budget. As I understand it, this agenda item proposed by Tara lawson Remmer goes so far as to say that it would allow, but not be limited to, shutting down these centers. Yep. Yep.
4: Wow. Exactly right. Yeah. It is. It is. Truly unconscionable that someone would that that you know promotes choice is going to restrict the choice and actively do so using governmental power to do so, and and that's why I just hope that your listeners that are hearing this will, will call in on that December fifth Board of Supervisors meeting. Uh, we need voices and we need as many people throughout the state to rise up and say this is not what we want. And anyone in in, in the state of California and even beyond can can oppose this because the real risk is is that this type of agenda, power-seeking abuse of power, really, it has the potential to spread. Um, if it can be done in San Diego County, um, those who have a one-track mind and a one-track agenda are, are going to see this as a way uh, to, to just shut down any, any options that, that women have other than their pro-abortion
1: agenda. Yeah, and clearly that really is driving this. It's, it's not about what's in the best interest of women that find themselves yep. in these circumstances. It's not about education. It's not about resources. It's not about empowerment. It's For some reason, they just um, they just celebrate abortion on demand under all sense of circumstances at all times. I don't know whether there's kickbacks going on underneath the table, what, what the agenda m- might be here that would motivate people to celebrate something like this, uh, it's a difficult time for a woman. And, and oftentimes they have to go it alone. They might not have any support. The father may or may not be in the picture, may or may not be supportive. And so there's a woman struggling to try to make a decision. A decision, by the way, that dependent upon how it goes is an irreversible one. And so to deprive a woman of the right to be able to get access to complete and detailed information so she knows the totality of her options, well, Planned Parenthood doesn't make any money Money when they say carry the child to term, and at the end of the day, for the abortion provider, that's what what it's all about. Uh, yeah. it, it is it is it is almost singularly about money. If you don't think abortion is <laughs> yep. big money business, it is. Um, and I and I think Karen, at the end of the day, you're right. We need to stand up and 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 counter these kinds of attacks because that's what really what they are. Yes.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. You're completely right. They they are profit seeking, you know, pursuits that are going on. And I agree with you. If you follow that money, watch where Planned Parenthood provides dollars to politicians that are supporting this. And it is a vicious circle of one entity who profits oftentimes off of tax dollars hurting women and then provides contributions to political action campaigns for those same individuals who then grease the rails and wheels for them to continue their profiteering against women in vulnerable positions. It's disgusting.
1: It is. Karen Roseberry, California Pro-Life Council spokesperson. We appreciate the insights. Information, by the way, on these and similar stories at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org.